When I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was a single mom and I had started working for a nonprofit organization where I could do social justice work full time and be paid for my labor. And it was during that time that there were certain people in the community, in that sector, on my job who supported me. You know, some of those people looked like me had similar lived experiences as me, and some of them didn't. Some of them were older, came from different classes, different orientations, different races. All of these people, this full complement, they supported me in my growth. They were nudgers, mentors, OGs, people who were willing to share their experiences with me, and people who were willing to nudge me in the direction that I said I wanted to go, sometimes in the direction that I didn't even think was possible. I'm grateful for those people. I am also grateful for this conversation that I was able to have recently with Ignacio Rivera. Ignacio is a queer, transgender fluid organizer, culture worker, creative, pleasure activist, and all around OG. Ignacio's work is that of a nudger. Ignacio is a mentor. Ignacio helps people who have experienced great harm and trauma access joy and pleasure. This conversation was so good, y'all, that during Mercury Retrograde, we had to do it not once, but twice. So you get to hear the fruits of our labor and this fantastic conversation that's so full of honesty, authenticity, laughter, and hopefulness. I hope you'll enjoy. This is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, introducing Ignacio Rivera. So welcome, 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 Ignacio. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed by me for this this podcast, this Black Girl's Guide to Surviving (laughs) Menopause. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I really appreciate the ask and I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a little disclaimer to folk who are listening to the podcast. This is the second time I've attempted to interview someone and the universe decided that that interview was a conversation just for me and that person. The first time that this happened was with Jackie Shelton Green who's an elder who lives here in North Carolina. And Jackie is the poet laureate of North Carolina. She's like this badass Gemini who can conjure up (laughs) so much magic out her mouth. And we were having this really deep, beautiful conversation that I, I was running the gamut on emotions. Like I was laughing, I was crying. And then we went to download it and it was like, nope. Oh my goodness. I started crying. Mariah, who is my producer, they started crying. We were like, it did not record. Oh, my goodness. Or it recorded, but it would drop. Like, every two minutes, the volume would drop. Like, it was a secret. You know? (laughs) Like, check this out. This conversation ain't for everybody. And I felt like the same thing happened with us. We had this great conversation. Yes, we did. It was so much fun. It was the day after my son's birthday. We're talking about all manner of things. And I leave my laptop to do what I do. I come back and it's doing that that circle of death, you know, where it's just like looping. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I was like, I know you're not about to die on me. And it was like, <laughs> it's been good on me. I love you, man. I appreciate these last five years of being in your life. My laptop was talking to me. I appreciate you. <laughs> Last will and testament. Here we go. Last will and testament. I bequeath to you all the stickers that you put on my body. <laughs> not the hard drive. You shall not have any of this data. So, lesson learned. Back your shit up. Mm-hmm. And when you schedule interviews in the thick of Mercury retrograde, stay open. Mm-hmm. Just stay open. <laughs> yeah. Part two of this great conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would love for you to kind of kick us off. So for folk who are listening to us and may not be 
aware of who you are or how you move in the world or the work that you do, to just do a little little intro. Tell us about yourself. Tell us your entire name because it's mm-hmm. very critical. As someone who <laughs> with multiple names, yes, each yes. having specific <clears throat> names. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, a little bit about kind of where you grew up and and who you are. Okay. So hello everyone. I am Ignacio Hutiashaiti Rivera. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, New York. Wow. I just had a birthday, October first, so turned forty-nine, which is like so freaking amazing and beautiful. And think, and in thinking about you know where I am right now and the work that I've been doing, and so to speak on like what I do and who I am in the world, I'm an activist. Some might call me a writer, a performance artist, and I am the founder of The Heal Project and the executive director. And my work, I've worked in a variety of mediums, but really if I had to like encapsulate my work, it's the gender and sexuality as a whole, but I work on healing from sexual trauma and I work a lot with sexual liberation, like finding our sexually liberated path, especially as it pertains to LGBTQI people of color. So I've done work in various movements, um, economic justice, LGBTQI, sexual liberation, uh, mujerista, you know, uh, feminist circles. And I've done a lot of that work, but all, again, have been centered around gender and sexuality through my performance, my poetry, articles that I've written and really thinking about our, especially the marginalized folks, our bodies and how it's so controlled by others and government and how to be free from that and deconstructing deconstructing capitalism to get to a place of freedom within our bodies and ourselves. <laughs> I mean, we could go down, a, we could have a whole nother conversation on that. I mean, that's a, that's a rabbit hole. Like, yeah. you know, that's a rabbit hole. We've been going down over the last few weeks, and I'm not interested in going down anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. But yes. that's a rabbit hole that's worthy, you know, mm-hmm. as yes. far as I'm concerned. So I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, the work that I do at the Heal Project is uh, we do uh, prevention work on preventing um, child sexual abuse, work with uh, adult survivors of uh, sexual trauma and child sexual abuse and teach parents and families how to talk to their children about sex and sexuality in a very expansive and beautiful way that is a a preventative tool. Mm -hmm. And so um, working around a a complete cultural shift in how Uh we think about sex and sexuality and thinking about it as a life skill that must be taught from birth to crossing over because I, I believe it would shift uh, incredibly how we relate to one another, how we communicate, and a better and clearer understanding of what consent and bodily autonomy is. Because I think right now what we have is concepts and what we're missing is all of the things that get us to understanding mm-hmm. what consent is and what even our own desires are. Yeah. I want to ask you more about how you got to this path, and if you, but what you just said reminded me of a a conversation I had with with Taj. I guess it's probably been about four or five years ago now. You know, I've done work in reproductive justice. You know, one of the ways that you and I have met, well, actually, two ways that we've met mm-hmm. because of space that was being held around the Black erotic and pleasure and mm-hmm. and consent and sexual expression, but we also um, we're in the same space around some reproductive justice work, you know, national work. And so that's super cool. And I remember having a conversation with Taj, you know, I have two, I'm not going to lie. I have two pretty cute kids. I'm not going to lie. You know, sometimes people like, my kids are cute. And you'd be like, okay, yeah, they look like they're nice. <laughs> but you saying the truth. I'm speaking truth right now. <laughs> yes. All right. Drop some knowledge. <laughs> One of the things that bothered him is that because he has curly hair, people would touch him uh-huh. without consent. And mm-hmm. so I remember, yeah, it was about five years ago. It was the introduction to a conversation around bodily autonomy and consent for him. Mm. Um, because he was sharing with me about some kids touching his hair at school. Right. And he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. He approached it in a way where he was like, so 
how was your day? I said, my day was good. How was your day? He's like, I'm glad that you asked. Some <laughs> things happened today that I didn't care for. And he, he broke it down for me. Mm-hmm. So that was the introduction or the door to us to begin, which I know is going to be a continuous conversation right. about consent and about bodily autonomy. And so we had this whole conversation, you know, he was eight, mm-hmm. this whole conversation about his body right. and who gets to touch his body and who doesn't get to touch his body and how he invites that or how right. that has to asked for and what consent is and how consent can be needs to be given freely can also be taken back. Yes. And we also were having this conversation about intimacy because it led us to we did have our that was our first sex talk and he was like I'm not really interested in sex. Mhm. I was like Word, right? Like that may or may not be a continuous thing. And so I said would well, you want to talk a little bit about intimacy and he will he's like well what's that? And so we started talking about intimacy and at the way that I explained it was the way that he and I interact with each other. Mm-hmm. The time together, our hugs, our cuddles, our cooking together, our laughing together, right. playing, confiding in each other, allowing each other to share their emotions, whether the emotions are like sadness or happiness. And he was like, oh, I, I dig intimacy. I like Aww. that. <laughs> I love that you said that to, to him, that, to, that you made that distinction and that you even pulled it out because mm-hmm. the most kids don't get that conversation. It's like the thing about sex is the fearful thing, so we stay away from that. And then intimacy, I mean, I, mean, I think the closest we get to that is like when we're little and trying to, uh, you know, figure out friendships, you know, sharing mm-hmm. and things like that, right? Which is also a good opening to talk about these conversations but it's lovely that she said that because he said i'm not ready i don't want to talk about sex so what's another yeah. way to talk about this wonderful yeah. intimacy that's so great let's do it yeah so how did you find your path to one your activism i hope that you know and and you know we talked about this before you are so beloved oh and thank you i'm serious man like i'm not you know. <laughs> You need to talk to Ignacio. Ignacio's an OG. And I'm like, okay, so I feel very much as someone who has also been designated in some spaces as an OG. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about how you found your way, your journey to your activism and, and this creative work that you do and also this healing work you do. And also, how do you feel about being seen Especially, you know, I some of the the trans babies who look at me as a, as a TT, they were like, "Yo, Ignacio's a G, and you need to talk to Ignacio." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." So uh, often when I talk about my activism, I say that I was an accidental activist <laughs> because <laughs> I was um, my my journey began when you know, kind of like when I left home. I think I ran away from home pretty young and I lived in the New York shelter systems for a while and I got pregnant when I was uh, 17. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the shelter systems for a little bit while I was pregnant and got out, was in a very abusive relationship physically and emotionally and ended up probably like a year later moving moving away to Massachusetts. Had an aunt out there who said, look, it's cheap to live out here, start over. And so I took it. I just decided to go and get away. So I did. I didn't like it at all. But while I was there, my daughter and I, super, you know, when she was little and growing up, we were so super tight and close. And I often say that the time that we spent together um, was such a cherished and beautiful thing. And so while we were together, there was a bookstore that we passed by often called Bernstein Bookstore. And so I thought it was like the Bernstein Bears bookstore. Like I thought it was a kid's bookstore. So I was yeah, like, oh, let's, I, let's, yeah. I read those when I was growing up. Right, right. So I'm like, okay, let's go up here. Let's see what kind of fun stuff they have. And when I walked in, it was like literally like this kind of almost like this white people meshed up Bob Marley hippie uh, place where they do poetry and it's like a cafe and they do organizing and stuff, right? 
So I walk in and there's this bald white guy there. We start talking and instantly, which is kind of funny, he peeps me as a lesbian because, Mm. and I was, I was like kind of happy and shocked because I was, I was not read as one, as a femme, you know, like, or uh, people seeing me as femme and stuff like, you know, wearing lipstick sometimes, wearing skirts and dresses and however, uh, they never Mm -hmm. saw me as such. So we're talking and he, he goes, hey, you know, there's a lot of groups here. You should come join. He said, there's a LGBT group. And then I said, he said, but the, the person just left the facilitator. And they said, but you know what? Why don't you take it over? And I was like, I don't even know you. And I've never run a group before in my life. And like, so, like, yeah. Hey, I think you're queer and you should lead this group. Yeah. And then he basically said, I'll show you. And there began a... How is it now? I think it's a 20-something year relationship, a friendship, mentorship with this heterosexual white guy that I love to death. <laughs> we have such a great friendship. But he was the epitome of really thinking about solidarity work, uplifting, putting himself in the background, and really teaching some skills to me. Taught me how to give speeches, and, and I became co-director to the organization that he had founded in uh, Massachusetts and did economic justice work. We did um, environmental work. We did LGBT work together. And so there it began when I started doing organizing the group. From there, I started seeing a lot of intersections and discrepancies and things. I organized the very first queer march in Lawrence, Massachusetts uh, many years ago, and it got national headlines. Yeah. It got national headlines because the people of the city were organizing to uh, bus out 300 children, and they called it Save the Children because we were going to have a march. (laughs) So with that experience was I was one week at the incinerator sites that we were trying to close because it was Mm -hmm. causing asthma and all these kinds of health concerns in the city. And we were, you know, fighting with all these group of people to shut this down, you know, for to save poor people and people of color in these communities. And then in the next week, those very people that we were alongside with were the very same people thumping their Bibles and saying that we shouldn't get a, a permit for our march. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I started seeing how can we not be how how can we be connected and so separated. And so mm-hmm. wanting to do um, that work, did a lot of work on welfare reform stuff. And and yeah, and I just continued on from there, moved back to New York after I got my master's and continued doing organizing around sexuality because of really specifically around sexual liberation and healing because of my own healing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in my 20s, when I finally um, started accepting that I w- I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, I started doing the work to start to heal. And through that work found that the thing that was most damaging in my life was my love for myself and my sexual practices and and intimate connections were really fucked. They were not good. They were not healthy. I was not present. I was um, not connected to myself in any way, shape, or form. And I was following a script. I was following a script of what I thought was right. And also in my healing, I was also following a script of healing. This is the way people heal. And so I think through my own healing and through the organizing work that I've done, I've come to a realization of my own personal definition of what sexual liberation looks like to me, especially as a survivor of sexual trauma, of multiple sexual traumas, and what healing looks like to me outside of talk therapy and something that I constructed, have used for myself that's really, really healing for my trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is so powerful. I have another thought, but I want to I wanna ask you, you know, I mean, you're 49, mm-hmm. you'll be 50 next year. People make a big deal out of turning 50. Um, it, I felt like excited. <laughs> I don't know, a little bit of terror about <laughs> turning, you know, my quarter century, a half century. But how do you feel about, you know, people showing you deference and being like, yo, Ignacio, I, 
will you mentor me? I think you're an OG. I want to show you respect. I, you know, I might be projecting. I don't know if these are things that people say to you, but <laughs> certainly the feeling around um, your presence in the community is deference from the vast majority of people that I know who we have in common look to you as an OG in movement space and as an OG transgender fluid person. Well, I got to say that it makes me feel really fucking awesome and good. You know, um, I have to say, like, as a Libra, Jesus, we want everybody to like us. We don't want nobody to hate us. (laughs) You know, but, you know, in the past, we want to get the good the good vibes at some cost, but this is not. I'm doing the work that I believe that I was born to do. Spiritually, I feel like I, spiritually, I believe that when we are born, we are born with our, our purpose and through the birth process, we forget. And our life is to journey through it, navigate through it and figure out what that purpose is and come to it. And so this is it. This is my passion the, and the ways in which I talk about healing for those of us that are considered broken or tainted, that we have specific issues and ailments and, you know, emotional needs that may come up that are not understood, or misunderstood, mm-hmm. and it's treated as something that is really a private issue. And it's and specifically with child sexual abuse, it's treated as something that's a childhood issue. And, and it isn't. Childhood sexual abuse begins in childhood and it lasts for the rest of your life. So in doing this work, when somebody tells me that they found a tool because of what I said, or they feel better, or they found a new avenue, or they told somebody for the first time, or they orgasmed because they tried the technique I told them, or whatever it is. It makes mm-hmm. me feel fucking amazing because it feels like a part of my own healing because I mm-hmm. get to share. I just get to share all the stuff that I've learned. And I just want to share that with folks. And if people want to take it, fantastic. And if it works for them, even better. You know, because mm-hmm. I want to just, I want to talk about our bodies, especially as people of color, queer people of color, trans people of color, femmes of color, like thinking about our bodies. Our bodies are ours, and we should be able to navigate our bodies the way that we see fit, the way that feels good to us, and not constructed by others, not constructed by others at all. I absolutely agree with you. I I think I shared with you in our last conversation that I've been a little bit obsessed with cartography and map making, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. making from a much more cultural, spiritual, creative way. Part of that is because I think that this journey I've been on around menopause has been cartography. Like Mm. I'm like creating a map for black folk to be like, oh, you know, the way that this thing could go is so many different directions and how aging happens in so many different directions. But it felt so kind of... um, it was dark and elusive to me because, it, you know, these are not necessarily conversations that we have in transparent ways that are like open-ended and don't have any kind of generalized conclusion. You know, people right. are like, so what's the moral of the story? You're like, the moral of the story is that there's no moral of the story. Right. Like, <laughs> you're journeying. This is what you're doing. And that there are portals, mm-hmm. you know, and that is a portal. And they, I think that it's important to have a map that leads you to and through these portals to these next iterations of yourself. And when you were talking about your healing process, it made me think about how much reclaiming and retrieving I've been doing of all my avatars in the last 53 years mm. because of the, the things that I believe to be true about myself that came to me culturally, mm-hmm. that came to me part of my generation and where I grew up. And like all of the things that I said, okay, I'm going to accept that as a truth. And also what healing was going to look like, I wanted to accept as a truth. And so once I decided that that was not something that I needed to do for approval from some random outside force or person, it just opened the space up for me to really, I don't know, engage in some, some healing and some conversations with my 
my little self, you know, to have conversations with with Billy, three year old mm-hmm. Billy, six year old <laughs> Billy, thirty year old Billy. You're like, girl, come here for a second. You did what you did. You were trying to keep us protected. Mm-hmm. I get it. We are safe. You don't have to do that anymore. For real. Like mm. we can be safe. I'm not going to banish you. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to judge you. I want to understand you. And I'm curious. And I want you to know that it's okay to come with me. Right. We can, we can do it together. And that's been a huge gift to invite the younger parts of me that was, you know, fast and furiously constructing performative mask right, to keep right. me safe. Um, to say that, you know, that mask we're going to keep because we live in this country, mm-hmm. right? That's a, that's a hearty mask. Yeah. We live in a country that's capitalistic, that's racist, that's patriarchal, misogynistic, homophobic, all those things. You're going to need that mask, sis. Keep that mask. That mm-hmm. other mask, I, we don't need that mask. But you know what? I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for making that mask for me. Yeah. Because I did it because you love me. So. I'm appreciative of the space that people find you so they can find themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm also curious, since you do so much beautiful, deep, authentic work around intimacy and pleasure and sexual expression, how are you right now accessing intimacy and, and, and pleasure? And does it feel different now that you're older, like how would you say it has changed for you mm. as you've gotten? Oh, it's gotten so much better. God, okay. it's gotten so much better because I am a contemplator. This is this is what I do in my pastime. I love to contemplate. I think mm-hmm. all the time. Thinking, always thinking. <laughs> and so I am always assessing uh, the, the relationships I'm in and I assess them after they are, you know, completed or transitioned. I am always checking in about myself, who I am in relationships and all of that. So I do a lot of fucking hard work to, mm-hmm. to make sure that I, I am understanding and seeing myself. I don't, and I don't do it alone. Uh, I have my people see me and look at me too, to, to, to show me the things I can't see. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like I continue to grow because I continue to learn about myself and learn more about what I need and don't need and learn how to completely and like clearly verbalize the things that I want and desire. And I feel like at 49, I have gotten to a goddamn really good place of really expressing that exactly what I need. I'm pretty firm on that. I can, I can negotiate what I want. I can, I can tell you exactly what I need and what I don't need. And I know things uh, need to transition and end or, you know, move on. So I would say it's much better. And sexually, of course, it's freaking fantastic. They, what they say is true. What they say is true. I'll tell y'all a secret, all right? Everybody get close. <laughs> well, those identified female at birth or those with innies um, or those with uteruses, however we want to describe uh, women and trans folk, uh, when you hit your 40s and shit, the sex drive just fucking skyrockets. I mean, I was already a very sexual person, but it's like now it's the orgasms are like, wow, very of a different variety of orgasms, accessing my body in different ways. Um, it's just it's better because I keep learning more about myself. Uh-huh. My best friend from high school is a year older than me. Mm-hmm. She was like, when I was getting ready to transition out of my 30s into my 40s, she was basically like, listen, I just want to do you a solid and let you know, it's about to be real juicy up in this dispute. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what we already experiencing? And she was like, oh, yeah. I was like, that's not possible. You're tripping. She's like, I'm not. I'm t- I'm- listen, you're my girl. I'm trying to tell you. The sex is going to be better. It's going to be hotter. You're going to be hotter. Mm -hmm. You're going to be worried about what you want. I was like, what are you talking about? She was not lying. She was not lying. Yeah, it's like there's no time for bullshitting. Like I've gotten to the place where I'm very clear on what it is. So it's it's not, no, um, it's a very direct thing. And it's really, there's just clarity right now, which is really, really nice. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm also wondering, like, 
one of the things now that I'm grappling with in my 50s is just a little, well, I don't think I'm obsessed with death. I do think I'm obsessed with time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to waste time. I want to be clear about my time. I want my time to be well spent. And so figuring out the things that bring me joy are also pivotal to how I'm accessing pleasure and intimacy. Yes. To, yeah. you know, of course, now we're in the, the time of, of COVID. And so much of my pleasure has been self-pleasure, which is great. You mm-hmm. know, like it's not a problem. And I'm also curious about what it will look like when I feel more comfortable because I don't feel comfortable right now. Right. Um, connecting with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Like what that will look like for me on on the other side of this moment where people are still navigating and trying to figure that out. Have you been able to tr- figure out intimacy while we've been in quarantine? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. First, it was, of course, you know. <laughs> At first, it was, you know, self-pleasure, of course. And that, that's all great and good. Mm-hmm. And a wonderful and a really different thing happened uh, during COVID. I um, started having wonderful, deep conversations with the person that I shared space with that I knew um, but didn't really mm-hmm. know, know. I knew from other people. And we just started talking and getting to know one another, you know, and went from emailing to texting to zooming to I'm gonna go see you (laughs) and seriously the fucking relationship is beautiful I've I've never started a relationship like this um, we were full-on like having wonderfully deep feelings for each other without ever having touched or kissed each other Yes. And so I don't really usually have relationships like that. I'm pretty um I'm pretty uh direct in, you know, in my sexual way, so I'm just like um I don't bullshit around. You know, if I would like to have something, I will try to negotiate this with someone. It's <laughs> not bullshit. Mm-hmm. But this during quarantine just like finding a friend and then seeing that this friend had the potential to be more and then so uh we did you know we talked and we um we negotiated the um the safety around it you know getting um talking about getting tested how we get there what to do and so we negotiated uh coming together and being together just like i mean it's more steps but definitely just like I negotiate any kind of sex I always t- you know the safety portion what is safety what do I need to be comfortable? And we figured that all out, and it's been awesome. <laughs> you are inspiring me. And I also am really struck by this very clear, crystal clear practical application, mm-hmm. like iterative practical application of what does it mean to be safe? What does it mean to have consent? What does mm-hmm. it mean to have autonomy? What does it mean to trust? Every thread that you've shared so far has been like it's iterative like you know mm-hmm. you can apply all the things that you're wanting to do mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. and how, how are we keeping each other safe right like, what right. do you need what do i need to feel safe you know this is translating right now to to the world yeah. um i just left the cabin um taj and i were at a getaway um little house it's like 200 square feet cabin and we were like, well, what do we need to feel safe going into the woods? You know, because black folk going into the woods, sometimes there's some trepidation. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, want to feel safe, want to be close to nature, don't want to get jammed up, don't want to feel like I'm in some kind of like horror movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, what are we safe? What are we taking with us? What's the conversation we're going to have? What are we going to do while we're there to be mindful? Because nature is also nature. Mm-hmm. Right. You can be out here in nature and, and taking in the scenes and nature's like, yo, check that out right there. Don't touch that. Check that out right there. Don't eat that. Check that <laughs> That's an animal. You know, so you got to, you know, yes. it's critical to be mindful of the terrain. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that holds true with all aspects of our relationships. Like what's the terrain? Mm-hmm. How are we keeping each other safe? Right, right. 
Hey, y'all. I hope you are enjoying this latest episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. Before we continue with this episode, I wanted to bring a word from our sponsor. Before I started working with Kendra, I asked them to share more about themselves and their values. And here's what they had to say. We started Kendra with a seemingly simple mission, empower people who are experiencing the hormonal changes of menopause to care for their bodies naturally, safely, and holistically. And what does that look like? Plant-powered, estrogen-free essentials that do what they promise. Kendra is science-backed support made by women and tailored to you. And I love hearing all of that because I wouldn't want to partner with anyone or any entity that is not natural, safe, and holistic in their approach. Kendra's line of peri, minnow, and post-essentials includes a daily vaginal lotion that has a revolutionary reusable applicator that dramatically relieves vaginal dryness, a sleep-enhancing supplement, an energy-boosting supplement, and a dynamic daily wellness supplement, all thoughtfully designed to target and relieve any of the physical manifestations we have along this menopausal journey that sometimes includes hot flashes, brain fog, and mood swings. Kendra has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers or subscribers, you get 20% off anything you wish. To get 20% off your first order or subscription, go to ourkendra.com slash omi20. That's ourkendra.com slash omi, O-M-I, 20 to get your discount today. I'm wondering, you know, we've got um, a couple more questions I want to ask you. um, And then I want to, I would love for you to gift us with something that we can incorporate into a tangible guide that I would like to have come online and make available to folk. But one thing is, I'm wondering if you have thoughts around what kind of conversations you wish people were having with you. Mm-hmm. as you were coming more online with your intersectional identities and having more clarity around how you wanted to move in the world and who you are as it continues to evolve, like as you get older and you're going, you know, we're, we're wishing you long life. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm going to speak this over you speaking long life over you. Mm-hmm. What do you wish folk who were ahead of you maybe would have said to you? And what do you, what would you like to say to folk who are coming behind you around? I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Let me see. I mean, I think uh, I think what I think about mostly today, even though I say you know my work is around you know broadly gender and sexuality. When it really comes down to it, I think it comes to how we relate to one another as humans. Mm-hmm how we relate to one another. And so I wish that from my family and from others ahead of me that we would have had more understanding and knowledge and conversations around what it means to relate to one another that is supportive Mm. and sustainable. Mm -hmm. Because uh, now with people coming up, I can talk about gender and sexuality. I could talk about sexual liberation. I could talk about CSA prevention. But at the real bottom of that is like um, the skills that we have to hold intimacy, relationships, friendships, to hold fuck ups and be accountable. Those are the Mm -hmm. skills needed in order to hold the beautiful space of any kind of relationship or intimacy. It's this emotional, emotional, some people call it emotional intelligence. Some people call it, you know, something else, but it's, it's that. It's that understanding. It is a way to hold those things together. So I think it's about how do we relate to one another? How do we want people to relate to us? How do we want to be seen? What do we give back to others? What does community family mean? That is really important to me, especially as we talk now of um, bigger conversations of defund the police. And if we believe that as I do, then that means that we have to start relating to one another very, very differently. Because that shit ain't going to happen magically. That means that we are slowly and hopefully surely deconstructing capitalist society. And so what does that take? It takes us to be in relation to one another. Mm -hmm. I know that you and your your daughter 
host a series of conversations. Can you say a little bit about those conversations? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's uh, called Pure Love Talks, and it has two seasons. Uh, and Pure Love Talks is a show that my daughter, who is 30, um, and I do together where I talk about the ways in which I raised her in a sex-positive household, but also raised her as a young person, as a as a woman, as a, you know, independent parent, as a poor person, all these things, like how I raised her with uh, this intersectional lens and thinking about prevention and kind of sharing those things, the beautiful parts of it, the parts where I fucked up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and giving advice about why I think this is so important that we need to be having good relationships with our children and really reconstruct the idea of this power we have over children. We, you know, cause we try to teach them that they have control over their body, that there should be bodily autonomy, but actually our actions override all of the things that we say. And so I want to talk about how we actually have a meaningful relationship with our children rather than a relationship in which we just tell them things or we have conversations and know about their feelings and so forth and so on, you know. And I know that that changes within different family structures depending on the construction of the family. So in the work that I do is about finding harm reduction approaches and working with, uh, you know, an expansive community around how we get there. Well, let's talk. Mm-hmm. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I sometimes, I often think back to how different my my mothering and parenting journey was with my oldest son, Che, mm-hmm. versus Josh, because the boys are 16 years apart. And I worked out all my hard edges on Che. I really did, Ignacio. Mm-hmm. Like, I cringe sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand and that. Had, oof, and we've had several conversations. Like, I have apologize to him on multiple occasions around my mouth, mm-hmm. you know, the ways that I would speak to him, my hands, mm-hmm. because I definitely tear his tail up. I used mm-hmm. to tear him up. And I, my mom, when my mother passed away in 98, before she passed, she said to me, she wrote me a few letters and she said to me, don't hit, don't scream, don't curse at your baby. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a woman who used to spank us. Like, right. what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know? And I I was like, she was right. Yeah. <laughs> she was right. And yeah. I do believe, that, you know, spiritually speaking, that Che came through first mm-hmm. because he was going to be a great teacher for me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when he came through, he, he set me on my, my true path. Right. My child, my eldest child, is the child of the Orisha Ogun, and he mm. he pushed back the path for me because I was headed in the absolutely wrong direction. Mm. And he was a star; he still is. <laughs> and when Taj came through, who is he's an Omo Eshu, he mm-hmm. came through to me how important our family is, like mm-hmm. spending time together and loving up on each other. Like, yeah, what, what more could you want? Mm. Right? What you want them to be in like a deliciously loving, evolving, authentic relationship with your children. Yes. And now too with my grandbaby, because I am with so in love with him. I'm so in love with that baby. And oh my yeah. goodness. So I'm having the pictures a pictures so yummy. It's just like, <laughs> look at this. Uh I'm just having a wonderful relationship with him. I'm just like so happy mm. to have this like child with me that's a part of my daughter that's a part of me you know um and yeah yeah and thinking in retrospect too about you know how could I be better how could I be better with him you know how could I continue to teach my daughter to be a good mama and and Mm -hmm. raise her baby you know without hitting him without you know yelling at him and all that because that's how I raised my daughter I spanked her butt until you know she was like uh, three years old or four and that was Mm -hmm. it I couldn't take it because I was I was making myself cry when I did it. <laughs> I was like, I don't like this. It doesn't feel good, so, you know. And so we shifted it. We shifted it, and it was about you know writing essays and <laughs> having deep Listen, conversations. There, there, there's, there's, another way. there's another way. There really is another way to help your your child 
learn about accountability and responsibility mm-hmm. and integrity and, you know, all those things without having to lay hands on them. And I know yeah. some people listening to be like, I spank my kids. You know, it's a choice. It really is a choice mm-hmm. around what you do and people will come to whatever decisions they feel yeah. like make sense to them. Yeah, I believe that too. I'm not, I don't even like, like try to badmouth anybody, you know, like I'm like, this is the decision I made for these reasons. And I don't live in anybody else's shoes. Uh, You know, I can't, I can't say, you know. um, I feel the same way. mm -hmm. Well, we are, we are kind of coming to a close of our second conversation with each other. It was the first time. One question for you before I ask you around this offering. Did you watch Lovecraft Country like I asked you to? Oh, I started to. I started to, yes. And then I stopped. (laughs) Can you tell I'm excited? Can you tell I'm excited? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I started, but I have to start again because my my grandbaby was with me and didn't allow me to really listen to what was going on. So I had to, like, stop in the middle of it, and I got to restart it. But it it looks very... Very interesting. I like the way it is very interesting. It's super intense. It's you know, it's got Easter eggs all up in it. So, like, if you've watched The Matrix multiple Mm. times and something different each time, Uh Lovecraft Country is similar to that, where you're like, oh, let me watch this episode again because it's just like (laughs) so deliciously packed with symbolism and allegory. Like, Mm -hmm. they're super smart. They're super smart. So I had to ask that just for posterity's sake, because mm-hmm. first I was like, you got to watch it. And I was like, <laughs> you know, you know end up feeling like so overly stimulated by it. So, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if there was an offering that you would want to make to this guy. This guide is going to be an intergenerational guide. It's, mm-hmm. it's this guy, this black girl's guide to surviving menopause is a, going to be an intergenerational gift, mm-hmm. an open-ended story that we all get to add something to. So if you wanted to offer something to the guide, what would you want to say? It could be a reflection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I would say this. Um, you know, I think we talked about this before. Uh, it's a menopause. I would say that women and cis women and trans folk that have any or were identified female at birth have so so much commonality when it comes to you know menopause mm-hmm. specifically those who are taking hormone um, therapy and so mm-hmm. like for me taking testosterone i experienced things just like going through menopause so we're going through similar things in our bodies mm-hmm. whereas this atrophy this thinning of the, the the walls and and the elasticity issue and the dryness and the hot flashes mm-hmm. and all of that and also the fear of not having orgasms. <laughs> so I say that there's a there is um some some deep commonality there that we can share stories about in ways that we can um that we're not so different in a lot of ways, right? And that uh, there is uh, wonderful orgasms after uh menopause and histos. <laughs> Yes. There's not that. enough that is- information out there for, you know, for people with bodies, you know, that that have vaginas and so it is possible because I I researched it. I did my my farewell to my uterus tour and got the information. <laughs> and um yes, the the pl- pleasure is still very much possible in our bodies. That's important. I'm grateful for you offering that and saying that to people. And I hope everybody heard that. I'm sure that folk will want to know more about you after they listen to this conversation. So how can people find you? How can they find you online and how can they find you on social media? On uh, my website is healed to end.org. So it's H E A L the number two, uh, N E N D.org. And I am healed to end on all social media platforms, but I'm also black, brown, red, on Instagram, BLK Brown Red. Ignacio, thank you. Thank you. Twice. (laughs) I appreciate you. I really do. Oh, thank you so uh, much.
y'all. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with Ignacio Rivera. It was such a great way to connect with someone whose energy is so beautiful. I know that I was excited when we finally got to do our second conversation, and I hope that you can feel that energy through the podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Ignacio and Ignacio's work, please check out the notes to the podcast. I have listed Ignacio's social media handles as well as their website so you can follow their work and learn more about what they do to bring healing and pleasure to communities of color, queer folk, gender non-binary folk, all of us. I told you all that soon we would have something to announce and we're ready. Our zine, our very first publication, Messages from the Menopausal Multiverse is live. That's right, it is live. You can read the issue on issue. There's a link in the podcast notes. And if you're interested in owning your own hard copy of the zine, you can purchase it for $15 via blurb. There's a link to that as well. We're so excited of all of the work that we put into this labor of love. I learned so much in this process. And I think that the messages that we received will be something that is encouraging, loving, and inspiring. I hope that you enjoy. For more information about who we are and what we do and why we do it, please check the link to our website that's also in our notes. And if you want to provide us with a little love offering because we touched your heart in some way, there's also a link on the website to make a contribution. If you don't want to be a long-term sustainer through our Patreon, you can make a one-time love offering to dollar sign omitutu, O-M-I-T-U-T-U via Cash App or the at symbol omishade5 for Venmo. Don't forget we want to hear from you. We love the listener letters. We love when people reach out and let us know how they're experiencing the podcast and our conversations. I love so much that you all are sharing these stories with your moms and your aunties and your uncles and your nibblings and your nieces. Everybody can access these stories. And that's what we wanted to do. I hope everybody is staying healthy. Hope everybody is being safe. And we will be seeing you soon on the dark side of the moon.